Listen, uh, grab your Bibles. Let's go to John 13. We're continuing our series a little different today. Uh, we're going to re uh, return back to our series, Rhythms of Life. And uh, today, I'm, I'm sitting. It's going to be a little more of a teaching focus. Uh, but I want to talk about a spiritual rhythm that I believe in many ways uh, is underpreached uh, in the current church um, in regards to the spiritual rhythm of serving one another. Uh, oftentimes, we've kind of created for some reason the last few years of church, not just here, but churches all over. Oftentimes, we, we really try to create inroads for people just to come and sit in the seats. And, um, and then we'll invite people to serve. But, in, in, from, but calling people and asking people to get in the game of serving, oftentimes we not, we're not as intentional about teaching why you need to be serving and I need to be serving within the local church. And here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that our spiritual life will never get to the place of maturity until we begin to give, uh, get to a place where we begin to give back, begin to serve others, begin to take what God is doing in our life and begin to impart that by, by serving other people, sharing that with other people, uh, living a life that reflects Jesus in their life by serving them. And I, I really believe that this is one of the reasons that the church in America is so spiritually immature. We, we've, we've kind of ad adopted this consumeristic mentality when it comes to the local church. I'll just tell you a quick story. Yesterday, uh, I coached a, a basketball tournament. My kids were playing uh, over uh, closer to the Dallas area. And so um, I, that's why I almost lost my voice yelling all day yesterday uh, since Friday. Uh, but... We were uh, in between games, and so my oldest daughter, McKenna, and I, we went to uh, Chick-fil-A. And I don't know about you, how many of y'all love Chick-fil-A? Anybody love Chick-fil-A in the room? Yeah. Um, Chick-fil-A is one of my favorite places. It's Christian chicken. Everybody knows that. Um, and uh, I really believe that they fry their chicken in anointing oil. I think they do. Um, and I, I really think not only is their, their chicken good, but their Chick-fil-A sauce, I think, is one of the greatest gifts God's ever given humanity. Um, and I think it is one of the most gracious things he's ever done. I love Chick-fil-A sauce. But the reason I love Chick-fil-A so much is because of the service they provide. Like, I mean, this second to none. But I had an experience yesterday that was the weirdest experience I've ever had. It was like a Twilight Zone moment. We went to Chick-fil-A and we sat in line, check this out, for over 18 minutes. I want you to let that sink in. Now you feel what I felt. I didn't know where I was. I was looking for hidden cameras. I'm, this, is a, this is a prank. Someone's trying to get me. This doesn't happen at Chick-fil-A. I thought maybe Jesus came back and he took the Chick-fil-A people first. And I'm sitting here thinking, what is going on? And then I began, let's just be honest, I got really irritated. Like, I'm, I'm like, what, what's happening? Why is this taking so long? And the truth is, if I was at McDonald's for 18 minutes, I'd have been like, that's the fastest trip I've ever had to McDonald's. <laughs> but with Chick-fil-A, anything beyond three minutes, you're irritated, right? Because you're so accustomed to the experience. Now, again, it was not Longview. Longview, Texas has the best Chick-fil-A's in the nation. Anybody agree with that? Yeah? Great Chick-fil-A's here. Just want to make sure if you work for them, not talking about you. So we're sitting there, and my daughter is like, she's frustrated as well. And my wife had called in the middle of our uh, waiting for eternity there. And, uh, and she's like, Mom, we're at Chick-fil-A. And it's been like 45 minutes. And it was really only about 15 minutes at that point. But in Chick-fil-A minutes, it was like 45 minutes, right? 
And so I tell this story because the reason I was irritated is because the service at Chick-fil-A is typically so good and that experience was so untypical and non-typical of what you normally get at Chick-fil-A, I didn't know what to do because there was a certain level of service that I was accustomed of receiving. I had a set of expectations and when those expectations weren't met, I got really irritated. And I was like, this is the worst Chick-fil-A ever. And probably is. But I'm sitting here having these thoughts of like, this thing really is messed up because my expectations aren't being met. And here's why I tell the story. I fear that when it comes to church, that many of us have adopted a consumer mentality. So we have this expectation of like, I I expect the church to greet me a certain way. I expect the music to be a certain quality. I expect the pastor to preach in a certain time length and in a certain way and to engage me. Tell me something I've never uh, heard before. Inspire me. Make me laugh. Make me cry. I have an expectation that my kids are going to get this experience. And I'm expecting that when I show up, people are going to care for me in this way. And so what happens is, is that we have this level of expectation as if we are consumers when we come to church. And here's the reality according to Scripture. The church of Jesus Christ was never meant to be a place of personal consumption. And what happens is, because we've kind of adopted the consumer mentality, is that when our expectations aren't met, and typically our expectations are me-centered, we'll just go to the other restaurant. We'll just go to the other right store. We're, we're going to go to the next church. Because maybe there, they'll meet the expectation. And we may stay there for a little bit until those expectations aren't met. Then we leave and we go somewhere else. And listen, the church of Jesus was never meant to be a place where you shop around until you find the place that provides the best service for you. And that's where you anchor down. The church was meant to be a people that you belong to for the purpose of serving them, them serving you, and then together serving the world. The aim is not about what I get from you. The aim is what I can do for you. This, was the, this is the heartbeat that Jesus has for his church. And here's what I will say. Listen, if your life is only consumption when it comes to the church and engagement with the people of God, then I will say to you, you will never reach the level of spiritual maturity or experience the life that Christ has for you until you come to a place where you understand it's not about consuming, it's about serving. In fact, let me just give you a quote from uh, Amanda Thompson. She wrote an article um, about this, the need that we have to serve, and this is what she said. She says, a good measure of our spiritual health is our depth of concern for other people. One of the ways that you ask the question, am I a spiritually mature person? Here's one of the test that you can take. Am I a self-centered person or am I an others-centered person? Am I, am I self-focused or am I concerned about the needs around me and look for, find ways to serve those needs? And this is what I want to talk about this morning is us becoming people who build the spiritual rhythm of serving. And I'm going to talk about specifically within the local church. 
of finding a place to plug in and serving those around me, finding a need and meeting the need. That is the aim of the morning. So grab your Bibles, John chapter 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to go back through and draw some applications from this story. So let me just tell you the story. It's a narrative, one that you may be familiar with. John chapter 13 is really the beginning of a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. It stretches for a number of chapters, and it's what we call the upper room discourse. Jesus, it's the night that he was going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and be arrested. He gathers with his disciples in, the, in what's called the upper room, and there he spends a lot of time with them, teaching them about his departure, about his ascension, and what life is going to be like for the church once he has ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit's been given. Within this, this is where we get the Lord's Supper, where he breaks the bread and he passes the cup and he institutes the Lord's Supper. The passage that we're going to talk about is within that context. So if you know the story, don't separate what we're about to see from uh, the rest of that, like the Lord's Supper and that, that moment there. So you have this long dialogue. Well, within this, there's something Jesus is going to do, and then he's going to explain why he did it. And here's what he does. It says that Jesus stood up from the table. He took off his outer robe, and he put on an apron. And he gets on his knees, and he takes a basin of water, and then he gets to the disciples, and one by one, he takes their filthy, grimy, maybe even stinky, uh, non-groomed uh, feet, you know, toenails going everywhere. He takes their sandals off. Some of you are like not feet people, and you're like, this is gross. That's the point. And he gets on his knees, and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he stands up, and he says, do you understand what I've done? And their response was, you know, they knew he was going to teach. And he goes, I've done this for you as an example. He says, you call me teacher and you call me master and you should do so because that's who I am. And what I've done to you as your teacher and master is I have set an example of what life should look like among you. That you would go and do for each other what I have just done for you. And then he says, and if you do these things, you'll be blessed. So Jesus has this moment where he serves by washing the disciples' feet as an example of what the church should look like as we share life together. And so here's what I want to do. I want you to grab your piece of paper or a pen Write in the margins of your Bible. I'm going to encourage you, if you're not a note taker, take some notes today. Because I really believe that we need to grow in the area of serving one another, of what it means to serve within the body. And I want to ask you, take notes, write this stuff down, and begin to reflect maybe this week about your own life and ask yourself the question as you uh, work through this, these notes that you're going to take, am I a consumer or am I a server? Am I a consumer or am I a server? So he'll write these things down, four truths, four applications that we learn from Jesus here about our own life of service. Write this down. Number one is this. Listen to this. When you know who you are, you will serve where you are. When you know who you are, you will serve where you are. Look what he says, John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Now, notice this. Notice what it says here about Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things and that he came from God and was going to God. In other words, it says that Jesus understood very clearly who he was. Jesus never had a crisis of identity. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He understood the mission that God had called him to. His relationship with with the Father was perfect. He understood his identity. He understood his mission. And therefore, what does Jesus do? Immediately it says he stands up, he girds himself, and he begins to wash and serve his disciples serve the disciples by washing their feet. Now notice this. Jesus, how, how do you get to a place where you're willing to submit and to do that type of ministry and service? It's understanding and being confident in who you are. I really believe the reason many of us in this room do not serve and the reason we don't get in the game in, the, in regards to the mission of God is because we really don't know who we are. Our identity is so wrapped up in other things that we really don't understand who we are. And here's what I mean. When you understand who you are, here's what you'll recognize. I am a sinner who has been separated from God because of my sin. That I have no access to God in and of myself. That that in my best day, I still deserve God's judgment and wrath. But God, in his grace and mercy, he took a step toward me and he sent Christ to live a life I couldn't live. To die the death I should have died. He resurrected and he, when I embrace him as my Lord and Savior, he makes me into a new person. And even though I am undeserving of a relationship with God, by the grace of God, I now have access to the Father. I believe belong to him. I am joint heirs with Jesus to the kingdom of God. Not on the basis of anything that I have done for him, but what he has done for me in Christ. When we understand our identity and what God has done for us in Christ and what we have in Christ, it will lead us to a place of humility where we will begin to find ways to serve those around us. And I really believe that because so many of us think that we're above serving others because our identity is rooted in maybe our position or our name or our wealth or our status. And because we find identity in other things, we believe we're the ones that should be served rather than the ones who should serve. But when you understand your identity rooted in Christ and understanding what God has done for you, it leads you to a place where you recognize, okay, if God served me this way, then I should serve others this way. If this is who I am because of what God has done for me, then my identity leads me to a place where I then can humble myself and serve others. You need to know who you are because when you know who you are, you'll begin to serve where you are. Because your confidence is going to be found in what Christ has done for you and who you are in light of who he is. And that leads you to a place of service. Here's number two. Number two is this. You'll never, you'll never, we are never more like Jesus than when we serve those who least deserve it. We are never more like Jesus than when we serve those who least deserve it. Now, don't miss this. Look what he says in verse two. Before he even gets to the the part where Jesus like, puts the apron on, here's what it says. It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. 
So like it's setting up the story. Two different times in this story, in these passages, it refers to the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. So I want you to think about this. The very next part of the story is what? Jesus putting an apron on, getting on his knees, and washing the feet of the disciples. And guess who is among them? Judas Iscariot. So I want you to get the mental image here. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. Jesus knows that he is going to sell him in just a few hours for 30 pieces of silver. And even though Jesus knew exactly what was in Judas's heart, Jesus stands up from the table and he gets on his knees and he unties Judas's sandals and he takes the basin of water. And I believe with compassion, with affection, maybe even with emotion, maybe Jesus is looking at Judas's eyes and there's almost this, I know that you know that I know. Maybe tears running down his face. And he just gently washes the feet of the one who is about to walk on those feet to go and betray him. Not to mention the fact that the rest of the disciples, they're going to desert him as well. And yet one by one, the king of the universe washes undeserving people, washes their feet. Now listen, so many of us, we miss the point of ministry and service. And I'm talking, and I say ministry and service, I'm talking about in, in, in many areas, whether it's working in a parking lot or working as a door holder volunteering in our kids' ministry, leading a life group. Oftentimes, people fail to serve or they stop serving because maybe somewhere along the way, they were mistreated or someone was unkind to them or someone didn't show the right proper gratitude that they felt like they deserved because of what they did. I know in this room, and there may be some life group leaders that are here and, and I want to be sympathetic to this because I know in the days of COVID, there are many life group leaders and you're tired and you're weary because each week you study and you prepare and then people don't show up on Zoom and, and, and they tell you they don't like Zoom and so you're, but you're like, hey, this is all we got right now and I want to love on you and, and care for you and man, you're trying to maybe provide food for people but they're nobody's providing food for you and you're doing all of these things to serve people around you and, and, and your group does not reciprocate that to you. Or there's that one person that never wants to do anything for anyone, but they want to complain about everyone. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are really nervous. You're like, I'm thinking about somebody. And then for those of you who are not thinking about somebody, you're the person everybody else is thinking about probably. <laughs> and you're tired. And you're like, man, people don't appreciate this. I, I'm, I'm just going to quit. I, I get it. But let me encourage you. You don't serve people because people deserve it. You serve people because they are image bearers of God. And you want to be like Jesus? Love the people that are hard to love. Serve the people around you that don't say thank you in return. 
Humble yourself and that person who's betrayed you, you know, man, what they've done. And many of you, maybe you've stepped out of, of ministry because you're like, I don't want to be around this person. And here's what I would say to you. Look, two things. One, if you're at odds with someone, find a way to reconcile. If you can't reconcile, continue to serve them. In doing so, guess what? You are just like Jesus. Don't let there be conditions on who you serve. Because the people in your life, because of their behavior and actions, who you would say are unworthy of being served, that's exactly the people that Jesus are calling you to serve. And let me just help you with this. Can I just help you? Ready? This is the in the face moment. Because the truth is, you and I, we are Judas. We are Judas. And do me a favor. Do something right now. Breathe in right now. Breathe in. Breathe in real deep. You got mask on. I know it's hard. Now breathe out. Breathe out. The breath that you just breathed in and out is not your breath. It is a gift that God has given you. And if we were all honest in this room, we have betrayed God this week with our thoughts, with our attitudes, with our actions. And yet he graciously serves us and gives us gifts every single day. Who are we? Who are we to put strings in who we will and will not serve? That's number two. Here's number three. Number three, the lowest place of service is the highest place of honor. The lowest place of service is the highest place of honor. Now look what he says in verse five. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then it says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, follow what's happening here. <clears throat> Peter, in this moment, oftentimes gets a bad rap because Peter is gonna have this dialogue with, God, with, G- with Jesus where Jesus is gonna, and he's gonna say, well, you're not gonna wash my feet. Well, then Jesus says, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you don't have anything to do with me. And Peter's response is gonna be, then wash all of me uh, because I, don't w- I want you. And so there's this dialogue, but we oftentimes say, man, how foolish is Peter to say this statement of, Jesus, you don't need to wash my feet. But here's why. I think that G- Peter's opposition to Jesus washing his feet was actually expression of admiration. Why? Because the person who washed the feet in the home was the lowest servant in the home. There was, there was, there was servants in many houses and the lowest servant in the house was the one who had the worst job ever and that is to take people's f- shoes off of their feet, their sandals, and to wash their grimy, dirty feet. No one wants that job. And yet that's the lowest position in the house and what Jesus is doing, and Peter recognizes it, Jesus is getting on his knees and he is assuming the very lowest position of service anyone could assume. And Peter is going, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God, you you have no business down there. You're the creator of the universe. You walk on water for crying out loud. You raise the dead. You fed the 5,000 with just a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Like, you're the one we've been waiting for. What are you doing? There's no way I'm letting you stoop to that level to wash my feet. This was actually an acknowledgement of admiration for Jesus, an elevation of Jesus' position. But Peter was missing the point. Jesus is saying, this is why I've come. 
I've actually come to assume the position of a servant. Because my redemption demands that I humble myself. And this is why Jesus says, look, if you let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter says, let me wash, well, just wash all of me then. Because what Jesus was doing in this moment, this washing of the feet, was a picture of what he was going to do just a few hours later, which is to wash our souls with his blood and to cleanse us. But I want you to imagine this. The Jesus who was the word of creation. The creator of the universe. The one when he speaks, storms cease and dead people raise. Assumes the lowest place of service. Ultimately, Jesus would be the sacrifice for our sin. But what does it say in Philippians about Jesus and the lowliness and the humility that he walked in to be the great sacrifice? What does it say? And because of this, the Father has exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name. With the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because when you assume the lowest position of service, you're actually going to receive the highest honor in return. I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Look what he says in Matthew 20, talking about this very subject, verse 25. He says, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? And their great ones exercise authority over them. The disciples in this passage of Scripture are arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Like who, who's going to have the, the best position when, when the kingdom of God is, is fully here on earth. And Jesus looks at him and says, you, you know what you're talking about? That's exactly like how the unbelievers think. Like the rulers of this world, man, they want to exercise authority and they want to sit in the most important seats and they want to have the most prestigious titles and they want to lord their position over people. He says, look, your, your conversation is no different than the conversations of the world. Like, see, the world flexes its titles and it flexes its positions and it says, look, I'm in charge and you serve me and I'm here to tell you what to do. And this is how many of us, we live our life. We're trying to climb the ladder of success so that we can sit as the king of the hill that begins to have everyone else doing what we want them to do. And, Peter, and, and Jesus says to these disciples in this moment, he says, look, you're, you're acting just like the rest of the world. Look what he says, though, in verse 26. It shall not be so among you. In other words, my kingdom is different. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. What is Jesus teaching his disciples here? It's simple. The lowest place of service is the highest place of honor. So like, for instance, when you, many people think, well, I'll serve in the church. I would love to serve in the church. Make me a life group leader. Make me a deacon. Give me a title, a position of leadership in a, where I can oversee some people. I want to serve don't ask me to work in the parking lot. 
do you know what I do for a living? And you want me to put that silly orange vest and wave at people and help them find a park? You know how important I am? No way, Jack. You want me to stand at a door and say hello to people and hold the door open? Do you know the skill set that I have in the business world? Do you know the title that I have at my office? It says owner. I don't hold doors. And let me give you some encouragement here. If there's any place of service that you think you're above, you're really below any opportunity that might be placed in front of you. You see, lowly positions and serving when no one celebrates it and doing for others in a way that cannot be returned to you is when Jesus would say, you look like my kingdom. And I would encourage every single person in this place if you think you're above an area of ministry, I would encourage you, volunteer for that ministry. And walk in the humility, because here's what it says, when you humble yourself before the Lord, the Lord does what? Exalts you. But if you exalt yourself before the Lord, what does the Lord do? Humbles you. Service begins with humility. The lowest place of service is the highest place of honor. And here's the last one. Faithful followers of Jesus will faithfully serve his bride. Faithful followers of Jesus will faithfully serve his bride. What he says in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher, if I as your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I want you to look up right up here at me for a moment. I want you to understand what Jesus does here. I want you to understand Jesus, at the end of this, he gets up after washing his disciples' feet. I'm not a foot person. I wouldn't want that job. No one wants that job. He stands up. He says, you understand what I've done? I've done this for you as an example because you say, I, I am your teacher and I am your master. In other words, the teacher is the one who shows someone what they are to do. The master gives direction to what he expects. He says, and if I am your teacher and master, in other words, if our relationship is I'm going to do and then you're going to do what I did. If I as your master and teacher have humbled myself to serve you, then this is what your relationship with each other should look like. When he says one another, this is a reference to other believers. It's the local church. You see, the local church is a place that you belong where you can serve one another. And here is the reality. If you are not serving faithfully the bride of Christ, listen to me, you're not faithfully 
following Christ. Why? Because Jesus was a servant. And he served disciples. And if we're not serving disciples, then we're not faithfully following Jesus. You remember the game Follow the Leader? Anybody remember that game? You, you do something if you're the leader and then everybody else has to do that, right? And it kind of screws the game up if you're doing something and no one else is doing it, right? It's not look at the leader. It's follow the leader. And far too many of us are just looking at the leader. But we're not following the leader. And Jesus says, I've done this because I have set an example of what your life should look like. You know what my prayer is for New Beginnings Baptist Church? Is that we would become a church of foot washers. I mean, I mean a church of foot washers. Hey, what do you mean of foot washers? We're going to get some, a bowl and, and some water and we're going to take people's shoes off? No, because that would be creepy. No, I mean washing people's feet. But when they pull in the parking lot, there's somebody there in an orange vest, and they're smiling, and they're saying, thank you for being here. Let me get you a parking spot. What are they doing? They're washing that person's feet. Then when they get to the door, someone opens and says, man, thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're here. Is there anything I can do for you? How are you doing today? Is your first time here? Hey, let me help you get registered and get you to the seat and all of these things. What are they doing? They're washing feet. Hey, when you drop your baby off, there's a, a teacher there with a smile on their face, and they're saying, thank you for coming and entrusting your kid to us. We're going to have a great time together. They're washing that family's feet. Those adults who are pouring into our students are washing their feet. Those life group leaders who are leading their groups in conversation and pouring into them on a weekly basis, they're washing feet. Those outreach coordinators that are checking on people who've missed group or have needs, they're washing feet. Listen, what would happen if we became a church of foot washers? And the sad reality with this church is the same sad reality of so many churches. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. Which means the majority of the people that come every single week are not foot washers. We come in and we take our sandals off and we're like, bring it on. I expect my feet to be clean when I leave. But don't you ask me to wash somebody else's. If we want to grow spiritually, we got to move out of consumerism and begin the spiritual discipline and rhythm of serving others. I'll close with this story. I, uh, and about 15 years ago, I went to Israel. And one of the things that we got to do in Israel is we got to go to the Dead Sea. I'd never been to the Dead Sea. Honestly, I've never even seen pictures of the Dead Sea. I've looked at maps of the Dead Sea. And I, I don't, when you think of Dead Sea, I was in my mind, I was thinking, this is going to be a very weird-looking body of water. It's going to be kind of just stagnant water, and it's going to be kind of, if I stinks next to it. I didn't know what to expect. So, when I got there, I was blown away because it was the most beautiful body of water I've ever seen. I'm talking about blue as blue can get, absolutely gorgeous, sun was bright, it was just unbelievable sight. The problem is it's lifeless. There is no aquatic or plant life at all in the Dead Sea. Even though it's this beautiful body of water, there's no life in it. And we're sitting there and watching this, and by the way, you can float in it, by the way. Like, it is, it is so dense. And so we begin to ask the question, say, what, why is it that the Dead Sea is as beautiful as it is, but it's lifeless? And they begin to explain to us that the, 
shoreline, the beaches of the Dead Sea, this is actually the lowest place on the planet. Like it is, it is, it is the lowest place on the planet, the, 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 the beaches and the, the shores there. And they said, here's what happens is that the, the Dead Sea in this lowest place on the earth is fed in two ways. Number one, the Jordan River flows into it, which is a river that is full of life, flows into the Dead Sea. Secondly, all the torrential downpours of the wet season flows from the mountains into these canals and flows directly into the Dead Sea. And when those floodwaters from the mountains come in, it brings with it all the minerals from the mountain range, from the rocks, and it brings it into the Dead Sea. And you would think with all of the minerals, this would be really rich water. Here's the problem. Because it's the lowest place on the planet, the Dead Sea does not have an outlet. Water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. And the only way the Dead Sea loses its water is through evaporation. So when it evaporates, it leaves the minerals behind and the water becomes more and more dense, more and more minerals. And therefore, the minerals that should make the water healthy, because there is no outlet, it actually kills any life in it. it put it in other words, it's dead because it only takes and it never gives. Here's my fear for so many of you is I fear that for so many of you, you come in week in and week out and you sit and you experience and you're poured into. You are served, you're taught, you experience and you consume. And there's intake, 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 intake. But because you don't serve, even though you take in and consume every single week, spiritually you are stagnant. And while you may look really great in a life group room when you're answering the questions, man, because you read the book and you've heard the sermons and you got the stuff down and you know it from on the outside looking in, man, you look like you have it all together. But the truth is you're lifeless. You're not giving life to anything because you only take and you never give. The stagnant spiritual life is a byproduct of being a taker but not a giver. And the spiritual life that Jesus has created in us is to be a spring of water that, that Jesus flows into us and then as we live, flows out of us into the lives of others. But when you only take and you don't give, there's no life. So let me put the cards on the table. Some of you are like, man, you're just trying to get me to serve in the church. Yeah, I am. Absolutely. Unapologetically. I want you to serve. I want you to get in the game. I want you to have an outlet. Create a canal and a river so that as you're poured into, you're pouring out and you're serving and you're finding places to look like Jesus and serving people who don't deserve it and finding the lowest places and saying, listen, I want God to exalt me and I want God to honor me. So I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Even if it's a menial task, it's not important. No one notices. I want to do these things. You're like, man, you're just trying to get us to serve. Yes, I am. But let me help you in case you think it's self-seeking. I would say this. If you can't find some ministries that you can serve in in this church, 
needs that you like, and I want to go meet that need. I would rather you leave this church to find another church that you can serve in than to sit in this church and miss the blessing of serving others. I would rather you, I would, the, to me, the greatest tragedy, tragedy as a pastor would be to have a room full of, of people multiple times a Sunday who are only consumers, who never experience the thrill of looking like Jesus and serving those around you. To me, that's a tragedy. To draw crowds but not make disciples, that's a tragedy. So I would rather you leave this church than to sit in this church but not serve in the church. So my encouragement to you is examine your life. Let me give you the question to ask. Simple. Am I a consumer or am I a servant? Do I take only or do I have a post that I'm going to go serve in and be faithful? You can only answer that for you. And my challenge is, if you want to look like Jesus, if you want to grow spiritually, develop the rhythm of serving. Father, I love you. Pray that you'll bless our church. God, thank you for the example that Jesus has set for us. Help us to walk in these truths. Help us to look like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.